Bob Mail. Bob yeah, Mail. Bob. Bomb. Oh, like bomb. bomb. Oh, yeah, bomb. Bomb. Yeah, yeah, bomb. Not, not Bob, the yeah. shortened version not of Bob. Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, I don't know that platform. And, uh, Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Voice of the Pyro, brought to you by Manscaped. Do you need to shape then... Yeah, use Manscape. Go go to listen to any podcast. Like they they actually all have sponsorship from Manscape. Yeah, I just thought I'd start us off with that. Um, yeah, Fair we're enough. not actually sponsored by Manscape, but if if a company that produces razors wanted to sponsor this podcast, we wouldn't say no. Thanks, Tom, for this incredible introduction. And uh, yes, we are here with us. There's Margherita Mezzasoma, which is a uh, the, uh, the activism coordinator for um, for Amnesty International in Melbourne, and uh, yeah, introduce yourself, Margarita. Hi, thanks for thanks for the beautiful pronunciation of my name, Marco. Only only an Italian could do that. Um, That's why I didn't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I mean, introductions. I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, as Marco said, I am. I currently work at Amnesty International Australia as the activism coordinator. I started working there over six months ago now. Um, I was originally a student of the Master of International Relations at Melbourne Uni. Graduated in November. Um, as you can tell, I'm not. I'm not Australian. I, I'm. I'm Italian. I moved to Melbourne over six years ago now. Um, and yeah, have been have been loving being here since then. That's good. And the uh, house, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and house, like, working, like, first of all, how's like, how was the life after being graduated? Like, was it difficult to like move from um, like? I, I guess you have studied for like. Like you always studied, and how's like changing the life from, like, from November to now, like that you don't have to study anymore. Yeah. Like, how um, did you cope with that? Huge change, I guess. I guess the like the variable in it was also like COVID, right? So mm-hmm. I I did all of my masters online basically, except for the first three weeks, um, which was disappointing but like still like relatively good and then I had a transition of maybe like a few months before I started working um which was stressful and very tricky um I like I think I I talked to so many people about it like it's never fun looking for a job after you've graduated because you just have so much pressure uh, so much more pressure that you normally do if you're looking for a job I also had an really work like hadn't really done paid work before which mm. is a bit of like a maybe a rare example but um, so you I went straight done. from unemployment to working for amnesty international Woo! yeah oh. i sure did such a big job <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> i mean i did a lot of like volunteering i was also volunteering at amnesty was one of the things that sort of yeah. made me learn about the organization and maybe mm. want to work for them okay um yeah. and i did a lot How of long? like extracurricular How- things yeah, well, How long have you volunteered for them? I probably started volunteering for Amnesty really early when I moved here. I uh, maybe like a few years, like 
two or three years. Um, I did a lot of like extracurricular stuff too. Like I did a lot of work for the faculty at Melbourne Uni, like the Faculty of Arts. Um, and I did a bunch of like random experience projects. Like I did a month of like consulting um, with like a project that the uni was running with some companies, which was really useful, but I definitely didn't feel ready to go into the workforce uh, when I finished my studies. Um, I mean, who is ready? Like Who is ready? Yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah. some people are, are more ready than I was. And I think I always feared that because I didn't have any working experience, then I would be struggling a lot to find a job. And like, you know, adding to that, the fact that I was an international student and like I have a lot of visa issues with that. Um, it was tough and it was very demoralizing at time to just get rejections. Like to give you an idea, being brutally honest, I probably applied for like 40 jobs, 40 to 50 jobs in the span of like two, three months. That's a mood. Which, yeah. Which not is, a good is, mood, but a mood. It's bad, but I also I also know it's not as bad as it can get, right? Like yeah. I, I've heard of people that have been, you know, applying for jobs for years and are still sort of like not really there. So I consider myself lucky as much as it was a really tough time. Mm. Um, but the transition to working was, for me, particularly like pretty smooth because NGOs have a very like informal, friendly kind of setting environment and that was really easy because it meant that I you know you know I never really wore like a suit to work or like had to like really have those awkward conversations so that's funny because I pictured yeah. you in a suit when when I was like oh we'll get someone on the podcast from Amnesty Marco told me I'm like Dude, yeah. yeah she'll have a suit <laughs> I have a shirt like that's that's the best I can do but um <laughs> No, it's very much not like that. Um, people are like probably more on like the, I can try and be as alternative with my clothes as I can because I work in an NGO. Um, I think that's sort of the vibe. And maybe like if you get if you get to like the international secretary, which is sort of like the, you know, the overarching body for all the amnesty sections, maybe you will wear a suit then, but otherwise like you can be pretty flexible. And then, you know, now we're working from home. So really like who knows what you're wearing um but yeah it was good until we went we went back to working from home and then to be honest right now it doesn't I don't feel much of a difference from you know what last year was like to this year because I'm at home on my laptop all day so I could have been studying like this year too so it's been a bit weird because I haven't had that opportunity to be in an office and be around people and all of that but yeah so do you think people who are still studying in this moment are quite like i would say lucky yeah yeah i would say so i mean not not that's like i i did a one-year master's too so i shortened my my master by one year i probably wish i did two years now so that i wouldn't have had to go into you know looking for a job during covid but um if you were to say uh go to a certain consulate and request a certain visa to go to a certain big, powerful Asian country, would you be at risk of not being granted that visa because of working for Amnesty? Potentially, yeah. Mm. Um, I also would be at risk here in Australia to work for Amnesty, to be honest, because I there's there's some weird things in your visa if you are like a you know overseas student where 
you can't be participating in protests or things that are like you know cause disorder and i basically lead a lot of those things so i guess yeah, this is I getting could be spicy out of australia <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, touching on this topic, like what kind of activities and events you as Amnesty International organize throughout Australia? Like the first question, do you organize things only for Australia or also for other countries as well? Um, so to, to answer that, I'll just like just give you an idea of how Amnesty works internationally. So we're like an international organization, but every country, not every country, sorry, some countries have their own section. So I work for Amnesty International Australia in that sense, right? I work for the Australian section. And there are a bunch of sections all across Europe, Asia. You know, you have like the big US sections and all of that. Um, Some of them are more resourced than others based on like, you know, the size of the country and just like, you know, if they're a country where people care to donate for like you know a human rights organization um but you you mainly focus on doing activities in australia even though i do uh do work with other sections so for example we're about to run a webinar with amnesty international indonesia on the situation in west papua and i collaborate with people in for example ai belgium to share resources and work through some tactics together so there's a lot of like international collaboration and a lot of our campaigns are campaigns that sort of are worldwide but we do a lot of things that are australian specific in terms of the work and campaigns we do um so in terms of activities i guess or the things we do um for my role specifically, I, I basically work across all the campaigns that we have here in Australia. Some of them include like, you know, refugees, so ending offshore detention, Indigenous rights, one of them being raising the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 14, or, you know, eliminating police cages in the Northern Territories, that sort of stuff. Um, and then we have sort of like bigger campaigns um, that, are focused generally on individuals at risk. Amnesty was born as sort of like a, you know, individual freedom kind of organization. So it was protecting individuals that were imprisoned for the wrong reasons or were sentenced to death, that sort of stuff. So a uh, human rights approach, right? Yeah. And it was very much like an individual human rights approach, right? So it wasn't so much about a specific group of people or like minorities, that sort of stuff. It started very much as like protective individual freedoms um and so a lot of the international campaigns still focus on that um but basically what i do is i decide the type of tactics that we will choose for each campaign meaning like what is the most strategic and most impactful thing we can do to achieve this specific change and how can we mobilize people in our society to get us to that to that point so and that the, can be like, a, yeah. you know, events, but it, it's also things like, you know, emailing Scott Morrison to get him to do something or, you know, calling your MP to get them to bring up an issue in parliament, that sort of stuff. Scotty's probably got a lot of unread emails from Amnesty. Oh, dude, yeah. so many. <laughs> there, should be, there should be red receipts on those emails. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's interesting to do those sort of tactics because generally when you do like an email to Scott Morrison, like maybe you won't get a reply. But for example, 
maybe this was this must have been must have been in june we did one for um refugees which was related to him accepting the new zealand offer which has been standing for like over six years now which is basically they would resettle 150 refugees from offshore detention to new zealand and the, the australian government just hasn't accepted that offer since because you know they're scared that they will come back to australia somehow um but we did a big email action in june and i think we sent like you know over five thousand emails to him so like i'm sure he would have noticed it and i'm sure he would have replied mm. it's called the, is it called the, like bomb mail is that right <laughs> bomb mail bomb yeah mail. bomb bomb Oh, like bomb. Bomb. Oh, yeah, bomb, bomb. Yeah, yeah, bomb. Yeah, not mail. not Bob, the yeah. shortened version not of Bob. Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, I don't know that platform. And uh, what are the, in your opinion, like the most effective strategy? Is there a most effective strategy, or it depends on the kind of issue? Like, yeah, it very much depends on the kind of issue, and it's so like here in here in Australia, we're a really big section. So I work across with people that do advocacy so they work they have you know a lot of contacts in government and generally in politics and so know exactly who the people are to target and when and how really so you can be like friendly targeting and sort of like not so friendly targeting um and you have to couple that with just like some like you know grassroots work so is it worth going out and doing a stunt on this or is it better to just do a bit of like backdoor advocacy where you just have meetings with them without sort of like public publicly shaming them so it's very much about the issue and how much influence you have the good thing about not to like brag about the organization but the good thing about amnesty is that it is like an a political organization you know we all have our own opinions within it but we don't take sides so we criticize things from like a not because it's this party that has done it, but rather just like a, a general, like, you know, human rights issue thing. Yeah. Um, and that means that we have a lot more credibility with people mm. within the government, whether they're like, you know, labor or liberal. And so we managed mm. to get in the room a bit easier yeah. than other organizations would because we maintain that stance. Yeah, I understand. Like another f- example that, comes into my mind is for example freedom house i don't know if you know freedom house and that's what they uh, they refer to um just a bit of a bit of trivia here um <laughs> it's what they call the building on the south korean side of the demilitarized zone in korea they call freedom it the freedom house. House. <laughs> yeah I, i'm pretty sure they actually call it the freedom house yeah yeah no it's this organization like born I think from Roosevelt. I'm I'm not sure Roosevelt, which is the yeah the I don't I'm not sure which as president. in Franklin Franklin Delano Roosevelt from yes. World War Two. Yeah. Yes, and uh, for example, this takes like it's a it's a kind it's an NGO that aims to promote democracy, but yeah. it's very well known as a very very on the side of the US. You know, so for example, even like the they make a human uh, democracy index and for example the us is on the top in terms of democracy yeah. it's very par- partial you know it's not impartial at all and uh, no uh, it's interesting this point that you said about having an approach which is uh, uh, rights rights focused like instead of uh, maybe be more biased and i think it's good to link 
individual rights with this approach because individual rights are quite unbalanced unbiased because like if women cannot go to school like it's a fact you know? yeah and like you know you always get criticism for being biased like I doubt that there's I like I can't think of one organization that I'm like oh my god they're completely like you know over every type of judgment or bias but you try your best to do that and so that allows you to then have a bit of credibility people sort of support you from a broad spectrum of political views um, or and personal views really but um like you know it's it's a hard it's a hard balance to maintain because you know it is made up of individuals and it tends to lean a certain way whether you want it or not yeah especially because the essence of your organization is political so how can Mm. How can exactly. you be unbiased, you know? It's got to be, like, as bipartisan as possible in an endeavour that is political. Which sounds yeah. like a very difficult thing to achieve. Yeah. And uh, and in terms of, like, working in an NGO, um, you told us before that you didn't have much experience in the private sector. But uh, what do you think, like, what is the one of the main difference between working in a non-for-profit organization rather than working for a for-profit organization and what what and also what's the thing that you like the most yeah um I don't know if I can tell you exactly like what the main difference is I think like NGOs and and even within NGOs there's there are a lot of different types of NGOs right so like it's not all the same like Amnesty is sort of like an advocacy NGO it's not like like a humanitarian kind of NGO, like we don't do like aid and that sort of stuff. So it's a bit different. Um, But I think like the difference for me was that you have to manage with a lot of different stakeholders. Like, so for example, I have a lot of um, interactions with volunteers too and activists, which you don't really get all the time, right? So you're managing like, you're managing like your team and you're talking to people above you and like, you know, in your own team, but you're also talking to people that, make part of your organization from a way that's not like paid stuff and could be that could be activists or people that join your protests or your stance but also members so people that shape the way the organization moves forward so you have a lot more you have a lot more accountability that you have to manage um, and so you have a lot of reporting to do and you have a lot of consultations that you have to do which m- maybe don't happen that much in other sectors um, but you you get a lot more, in my opinion, at least you get a lot more flexibility to do things your own way because it's because you don't have, you know, you, of course you're like you're always struggling to get money to sustain the things you do, but because you don't have that, you sort of try and be creative with the things you do to move into a different space and try and do things that are like innovative and creative. Um, which I I really enjoyed. Like, you know, I would have never thought to be in the position I am right now to do things like very different to the way they're, they're currently being done in, in my organization at 25. Like that opportunity would have never been given to me in like, you know, a corporate sector maybe or like a public sector, like working in government. Yeah, there'd be uh, so you, much more of a grind to just work your way up and just accept yeah. things as they are until eventually, maybe, 
you can have a say. So yeah, and, and that's good... and that's like the good thing and the bad thing of working in the NGO sector, right? Like, um, I I don't know, like it's kind of like a like a common joke where like we have a lot of meetings and we just talk through things all the time, like because you wanna you wanna take you wanna include everyone in the decision and you wanna have everyone's opinion. T- things might take a bit longer to change or they mm. sort of like fall back and then move forward. Um, so I think it's like it's like a pro and a con of working in the NGO sector. Yeah. yeah. And I think also like the way you tackle issues and tasks will be, I think, ideal for your learning as mm. well. Because every day or every like whatever you face with different tasks to do and different problems. So I think it would be good to like of course you won't be bored about doing this job yeah and also you learn you constantly learn new things which the job is very varied and it's you know it's generally because you have like limited resources so you're probably overworked a little bit but it also means that you get to do things that are be outside your like daily tasks because they just get given to you um yeah that's definitely a thing that's you know makes you learn on the job a lot more and a lot more quickly yeah and um another thing is like is like do we does um, the amnesty international have other offices in australia or there's only one office in melbourne we have and- offices in basically nearly every capital city in each state so we have one in perth we have one in adelaide hobart sydney brisbane we don't have one in like Darwin, say, but Poor Darwin. and we have one in Canberra, of course. And um, like, how do you coordinate between this? Like, are you independent or you have like, for example, you can have meetings and then decide what campaign to promote? Or, I don't know. Um, yeah. So uh, we're very much like a national organization. So I don't work just for Victoria. I work for the whole country. Um to, to, like, to give you an idea, I spend most of my day online. I never have meetings with people in my office or rarely because all the meetings include people in other offices. They're very flexible for that, meaning like say I wanted to move to Canberra, I could move and just, you know, work in that office. It's not – the office doesn't doesn't really make – like it's you don't have an office in Melbourne because people are working on issues in Victoria. You just have an office in Melbourne because there are people that are – residing in the city and so they're like they want to give an opportunity which I find it's a really great thing of of working for amnesty it also means that like you you especially when you're working in in this sector and you have to work with policy a lot you see the differences of states and how do you approach specific issues and how their policy are different but you're not just working for Victoria you're working across the country and so you have to be aware that things might be a bit different in other states and also you know the political um opinion could be different and like public opinion could be different so yeah it's very much a national organization and it's and it's that way across across the world too like if it's a national section you're working across the country yeah and uh, another thing Another question that I have is more related to employability and to mm. students. That So I guess that many students from MIR or whatsoever are really 
keen to work, will be really keen to work for the NGO sectors. If you can give us some advices about how like to apply for jobs, like any tips for especially NGO sectors, I think, because it's very specific jobs. So maybe if you have yeah, any advices. Yeah. Um, people get to be margarita (laughs) (laughs) look it's uh there's currently a position up for i need someone else like me in amnesty right now because i can't keep up i i'm i'm definitely overworked so if anyone she needs friends folks i need someone um that was a good plug actually because yeah the the we're looking for someone really good so go and apply people um but yeah look i think it's like it's as with any other job really when you apply in terms of like how you have to sell yourself and all of that I think probably what I found is maybe in NGOs things like things like soft skills are really important like you know communication and like teamwork and all of that so you don't have to have maybe as you would in other jobs a very specific type of hard skill or like something that's very specific so that means that you're competing with a lot more people maybe at times, which is quite challenging. I think when I applied for my job, um, I found that I was like, there was like maybe like 150 applicants at the same time for that position. And it was up for like maybe a month and a half. So it's a very short amount of time. The, the, the job market in the NGOs changed really quickly because people move within their own organization, but across the sector very quickly, uh, which is a good thing because you get a lot of positions that are open often. So with NGOs, the you know patience and persistence is really important because you will get into it eventually. It's just a matter of letting a bit of people getting through and then the sort of like the market changing enough that you can find a spot. So to give you an idea, like I started applying for... Um, NGO jobs from like November, right? I didn't get to the point where I could get into the second stage of some of those until maybe January, February, because a lot of people were going through them in November. And so as as a recent graduate, you can't compete with people that have a lot more experience than you, unfortunately. Um, But it was very much about um, showcasing my skills in a way that was very clear when when they were reading my application um I do say to a lot of people that it's I and I learned this while I was applying for jobs you have to like oversell yourself like you know don't be afraid to say that you have skills right the rule is say make it three times bigger what you did at least you know like (laughs) and then I think I think it's important within the NGOs to apply for ones that you are passionate about because they really care to have people that are interested in the issue. So at yeah. that time I was applying for like sort of like human rights NGOs, but also environmental NGOs because those are the two things I'm really passionate about. And that's really important. They always have a question about why you want to work from us, that it's not the same as any other job application question. It's really about wanting to understand if you care about the issue and are passionate about it volunteering in the NGO sector is really important if you want to work in the NGO sector because yeah. you have a bit of that inside, insider knowledge that you wouldn't have otherwise. And it also makes it easy for you to then work in it yeah. while 
if yeah. you get a job. And, and also I think that an advantage that you had is to get this position is that you had three years of experience exactly. over there. Yeah. I think if you hadn't, it would have this been more difficult to get it. Just letting you know. Yeah, I was like, can you drinking vodka right now? I wish. For all our listeners, <laughs> I've been using, for the past like year, I've been using this like empty vodka bottle. Um, wasn't even mine. I, I don't drink alcohol at all as a water bottle. So it's it's very like misleading on Zoom. Um, I just. I hope I, I hope you use it during class too. Oh uh, yeah, here and there. There's been a couple of times where it's just been like, <laughs> just like this is the most normal thing ever, and other people are oh, uh, giving me sort of a funny look. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So thank you very much, Margarita, for this incredible overview. Oh wait, about... are we are we winding up the episode? <laughs> okay. Marco is leading, so he decides. True. Um, but if I can, if I can just jump in there and ask for a quick like. Could you give us like a rundown of sort of what things you did um, in terms of extracurricular stuff outside of uni or even high school, if it went that back that far and kind of just yeah. like give us a timeline of how you started building up your, your resume. Cause I think a lot of people in the MIR are going to want to know firstly, if what they're doing is, is uh, good or not. And mm-hmm. also just generally how you, how you do that. Yeah. Um, so high school for me does not count, even though I had a lot of experience extracurricular from high school. If you're international, probably not useful. So unfortunately, um, all of my experience before Australia, I didn't even bother putting it in. I uh, maybe I put my high school yeah. degree in. I'm there, not but doing maybe too, not even that. Yeah, yeah it's so not so worth it. Yeah. It's yeah. So if that's like so all of the things i will say it's the caveat also you are an international student um try as much as you can and get some sort of experience here i know that people that are doing masters might have worked back in their home country and maybe that's something you want to add but try as much as you can as get some experience here because unfortunately they will probably look at that mostly um so i didn't really do much for my during my undergrad um maybe not until the last year of my undergrad I was very much focused on my studies and that also might be because I was international I wanted to put a lot of effort into making sure that like I was doing well and like my English was improving and all of that Um, my first year was my my best year academically by far Um, and then it's sort of like you know kind of like when okay afterwards Um, what I did do though during my undergrad was I took so sorry, maybe I should say I did my undergrad in politics and Latin American studies. And uh, in my undergrad, I got an opportunity to do sort of like a subject internship at ANU, which was basically a combination of research work and internship. Mm. So I was working for the Argentinian embassy and did a lot of hola amigo. <laughs> I'm sorry, Marco and I were just trying not to laugh when he said Latin American studies. He asked me in the the last episode if if I thought the Romans said boa, which means good in Portuguese. (laughs) (laughs) They said bonum, which is is pretty close, but yeah. Because Tom, during the episode, Tom asked me if I ever studied Latin and I, I've never studied Latin, but however, did. Margarita did. So I studied oh. Latin and ancient Greek, believe it or not. So, oh, yeah, wow. five years of you could like have a conversation time, but... with 
George Columbaris about underpaying staffers. <laughs> yeah, I agree. In, in ancient Greek, he just speaks regular definitely. Greek. Yeah. yeah, but ancient Greek, and like I can understand Greek a little bit. Um, I probably wouldn't be able to speak, but you can pick up the words because, you know, ancient Greek. Same rules. And Greek, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, sorry. So yeah, I did that experience with the embassy. So I, I developed a piece of research for the embassy and then I worked within the office. That was like a really good experience that even though it was pretty old, I kept in my CV for a while because... It was pretty niche and like I got both research and sort of like, you know, work experience in an office dealing with people from different cultures and sort of like all of that. So that was really good. So a lot of those things and you probably hear what when when I talk about the next is a lot of the extracurricular experiences I did were actually something I things I found through uni meaning like uni advertised something like, you know, the uni Melbourne notice, which like people like I don't read anything of that. I used to read some of those notices and I picked up on those things. It's a bit of um, like sass just thrown out there at everyone who doesn't read their emails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you're OCD like me and you have to have zero every time, you know, you will read your emails or you will delete them otherwise. So, yeah. Um, but so then I really just started getting experience from like my second to third year of undergrad. Um, that's when I started volunteering at Amnesty and by volunteering at Amnesty all I mean is I joined the refugee network group um, and sort of started planning some events with them and doing sort of like some of like petition stalling all of that so very simple stuff Um, my experience volunteering with Amnesty did sort of develop um, and if there's one thing I can recommend like to to do another plug for my organization the type of volunteering experience you get at amnesty is very rare in the ngo like they really value skilling you up and getting you to the point where you're doing things strategically on your own um so i got to the point where i was a campaign lead for victoria on the refugee campaign so basically i decided the strategy for one campaign which was my new neighbor which is a very niche campaign we have for the whole state so I decided where we were going to focus on the type of activities we would do unpaid so it's a lot of unpaid work really you're not you're getting to the point where you're not doing volunteering anymore you're kind of doing unpaid work but it 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 pays off because you get experience that you would never get otherwise I mean uh, at 20s at 20 in your 20s it's more important to get the skills I think yeah. you know yeah so and then the other the other two things that I did were in my honors and then in between my honors and my masters um so one thing that I did which I sort of still haunts me to this day because I get called back a lot a lot by the faculty of arts is a project that's called be here be heard which is basically like a student engagement project so it started off when I joined it from like a research project where like they were interviewing students about their experience at the university and wanting to improve it and at the good student I was I was like yes I want to improve the university so I'm going to go to this you know focus group and tell them all the things I think Um, but I then started basically working for the faculty in developing ways that we could improve like student staff relationship the way the courses were built in the university Um, we started the first sort of like student-led conference for the faculty of arts which happens now every year Um, and we designed it and led it and all of that so that was like a huge experience like I was basically doing project management by the end of it um, which is like 
really good buzzword to add to your CV, however you want to put it. Like, you know, if you've done a thesis, you've basically done project management because you've had to manage like a big project. So that's like one of those words that I would suggest putting in your CV. Um, and that kept me going until my master's. And then I left. I also did a lot of writing for them. Like I published, like I co-published some journal articles and did some presentations recorded a podcast for them to that sort of stuff so I did a bunch it's of the things usual. <laughs> um, and then the final one that I did which was related to the fact that I was interested in potentially I mean I did apply for jobs in the consulting sector but um, fun fact for international students it's terribly hard to get a job in the consulting sector because they would not hire you in Australia if you're international like the big consulting firms so don't even try and apply, unfortunately. But if you are an Australian student, do. Um, the university has a program that's uh, co-led by Practera, which is like an education consulting firm, where they give you the opportunity to basically join a team of other three students. And for, I think, two months, you work with a client and you basically go through like what working in a consulting firm would be like. So they come up to you with a problem or something they want to like move into and then you develop a full consulting project present and all of that and that was also like a really good thing that was came through in my cv when i applied for jobs and that was basically it then i did a bunch of like head kind of like i feel like i want to use my time to do something things like you know volunteer days and like open days at uni which i didn't think really helped but they get you they get you to meet people and like learn from others what they're doing um I the one thing I would say is only now having gotten the job I realize how much I had done after I graduated I felt like I had no skills and there was no way I was going to get a job um so just try and reflect on like the things you've done as like small as they can be and try and package them in a way that relates to one of the skills you find in job applications um, because no one finishes uni having like the perfect set skill set to apply for jobs so you always will have like spots that you don't feel very confident in um, so it's just a matter of like you know rephrasing things in a way that shows what you have and showcases in a way that your employer would be like oh yeah like maybe they won't have that specific skill but I'll still want to give them a try yeah, yeah, of course. It's yeah. definitely not, or it doesn't appear or sound normal when someone goes from like technically being unemployed to having like full employment. So that's, that's I mean, pretty cool. Um, yeah. but this also, is, you, you got, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, this, it's it's a great example, I think, of of achieving a, a pretty good job through volunteering. Yeah, um, like this, the the level, my job is a level six. So I'm like nearly like within the management team in the organization, which I was like, no way. Like there are people that are like in level four in the organization. I'm like, I feel like I should be there. Like that's entry level. So and because you're Italian, if you need a suit at some point, it has to be a white suit. Yes. Like it's, it's got to be white. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, now I should get a suit and go into the office with it. Like now you just made me want to get one. <laughs> yeah so it's it's it was definitely like beyond what I thought I would achieve I applied for jobs that were much lower in terms of like level or like pay um 
but you gotta try I was pushed by others to try for jobs that were in my opinion beyond my reach and that's where it got me that's heaps hectic Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, before we close off I feel as as a host of this podcast there's something that we owe our listeners and that is an explanation it's been at least two podcasts since Wendy was last on. And I think we have to come clean to our audience about what's happened to her. She is a pineapple. She, she has turned into a pineapple. She, it happened about a month ago. Now she turned herself into a pineapple. Um, She is, she is safe. Uh, She is a safe pineapple. She's been vaccinated. I'm pretty sure. Um, Getting the needle inside the pineapple skin wasn't easy, but they managed to to sort it out. So look, Wendy probably won't be on the podcast as a, a regular host anymore we might get her on as a guest here and there if we can but she's very busy being a pineapple um that's basically the gist of it is that wendy is a pineapple and we wish her luck in her endeavor as a pineapple yeah and uh thank you <laughs> apart from that i don't know how you that. came up with that on the spot did you plan that like because that was like, i was like what the hell i thought about this about 10 minutes ago as you were talking <laughs> about something important yeah this is dumb That's good. you should know <laughs> <laughs> uh, this and, is uh, canon now by the way we have to stick to the story yeah that's right and uh thanks margarita for yeah Thank you for this episode. It has been so interesting and incredible as well. Also useful for people who will apply for job like me very soon. Yeah, I hope so. so I, so. I, so. I wish I wish to like be able to give back to people that are in the situation I was, you know, six months ago because yeah. oh. I hated it. And I, yeah. I so just... I'm feeling that I'm going to yours in the situation where you used to be. So yeah, know, good luck. I'm starting feeling, you know, <laughs> like and the pressure. For anyone out stuff. there who's who's looking at graduate programs with DFAT, Department of Defense, or ASIO, if you're real spooky, like that's not the only option for an IR related career. NGOs are a thing. They exist. They do good things. I mean, if you, if you want a visa for a certain country, maybe be a bit careful, (laughs) but other than that, go for it. I say this with a massive flag in the background. I'm going to bleep that out by the way. And to be honest, like if you want to work like in policy, um, a lot of the times, like those, I, a lot of people that work for Amnesty used to work in government and then sort of moved out. So there's a lot of transition between those two. So yeah, yeah, if that's sort of where you want to be, which like it's something I've considered too. Like eventually there could be a path through that. Yeah. Take any job you get, honestly, when you finish. It's just the first yeah. one. <laughs> awesome. I think, I think Marco and I both looked at each other thinking, who's going to do the, the response to that so we don't talk at the same time? Yeah. And then neither of us talked. But no, that was a, a fantastic explanation for um, just what life is like working at an NGO and how you can get there as well. So thanks for that. You're welcome. And um, uh, what's what's a, what's a question we can finish on? Um, if you were a mafia boss, what type of firearm would you carry? I wouldn't carry a firearm. I would carry something else, like a weapon that's not a firearm. That's too cliche. Okay. How's that for an answer? <laughs> oh, I'm just wondering what it would be. No, that's a perfectly reasonable answer. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like I would want to have something that allows me to get close. Like I don't want to say a knife, but something that allows me to get up close and 
not it's not loud and obnoxious. Yeah, yeah this is a perfect okay. mafia answer. This is yeah. Or maybe uh, just, just like a like a pill, like you know, some some sort of poison, that sort of thing. Have you read uh, IQ eighty four, a book called like well one Q eighty four? I have it on my list though. Okay, I won't spoil it, but there's a cool bit about assassinating people in it. But I'll. Oh, now I want to read it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I read have it on my bookshelf too. Empire <laughs> Book Club podcast. Read one Q eighty four, everyone. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of The Voice of Empyro. If you plan on being a mafia boss, guns aren't your only option. And if you plan on applying for jobs, um, the public service and government departments also aren't the only option in IR. Yeah, same Wendy from being a pineapple. Uh, Stay tuned for next week when we find out why Wendy became a pineapple and how she became a pineapple. Um, Thank you. Thank thank you, you. guys. (laughs) See you next time.